no, I'm cool with that. Now, if I start going, ow, 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 it's because my my ferret has decided that I'm not paying enough attention to her and she's biting the shit out of me. I'm familiar with the, uh, hey, what the fuck, man, sort of love bites. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She, <laughs> um, she knows that when I come into the, into the, into the, the office that she's going to get let out uh, to run around. She just goes fucking mental. All right. Now, how do you do this? I'll either pull it, pull it through like I have 10 out of 10 times so far, or we might have to talk again. My only experience before I started doing the show with recording of any sort was in my band and I was mm. the drummer so I just lay down my drum tracks and read or take a nap somewhere. I never really paid attention to how this all works. So I just started learning how to do it for this. So that's why I didn't know about Skype. Ah, oh, dude, it's 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 a fairly steep learning curve, but once you get your head around it, it's actually pretty easy. And I've 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 actually just come back to to recording, like doing podcasting, and it's really weird because. The guys I used to podcast with did all the tech work. Like they did all the editing, they did everything. I just had to show up, and I was basically the mat for that ah. show. So I just sort of turned up and acted like the idiot, um, <laughs> which was great. And now all of a sudden I've got to edit and do everything. And it's like, oh god, <laughs> that seems like you've been doing it forever, dude. I mean, what we started back in 2010 when we started our original show, and we've only just gone on on hiatus this year just to sort of take a bit of a break. So yeah, I was going to say it was really recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, we'd, we'd been like recording solid, you know, I said pretty much sort of off and on for, yeah, like seven years. And we were at like show 310, I think, or thereabouts. Um, and it was just sort of, we all just sort of got to the point where we said, you know what, we just need to have a break. Um, and sort of, we, we all, we've all got sort of solo projects that we're working on at the moment. So, you know, it's kind of nice. And I wanted to do something completely new. So, and I'm loving it, loving it. Well, a lot of people are loving it. Congratulations on joining Legion. Oh, mate, I was so pumped when that happened. I mean, yeah, yours is the only show out there, you know, that I can't even tell anybody that it's like a blank, you know? It's kind of like a movie review, but it's only like 15 minutes and he just talks shit and it's just really fast and, yeah. It's a, it, well, that's it for me. And I mean, I've, you've probably heard me say it before. It's just like, I, I have trouble listening to sorry stop being a bitch um <laughs> she's, she's literally trying to crawl up the leg of my pants um i have trouble like listening to podcasts because normally i ride my motorbike to work and then you know when the weather's bad i'll, I'll catch the bus and that's normally when i listen so i might only, might only have half an hour maybe 45 minutes max so like super long shows take, will take me like three days to listen to and it's just yeah. like i wanted to be able to say you know what if i could get a show where i could have 50 minutes, half an hour, and just get it done, uh, it'd be awesome. And I just, I went, yeah, I can do that. And you know what? 15 minutes worth of editing is about my limit. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that takes me, like, by the time I chuck everything in and, you know, do all the all the sounds, I mean, it's a good probably, you know, hour or so, maybe two hours, worst case, depending on how much I fuck around, um, worth of editing. So I just go, yeah, that's enough for a week. Oh, nice. I do these big, long, long fucking ones, so... Yours flow really well, though. I mean, like I said, as a in terms of conversation and everything else, it, it goes through. So I'm sort of guessing you probably don't have to. I mean, I, you've got to do you know uh, pause trimming and all that sort of stuff, but hopefully you're not patching too much in. No, it, I mean, like I know like it was the said. last one you did a bit. <laughs> I, you know, I the Fear in Las Vegas episode 
my favorite so far without a doubt oh thank you i i was i was wondering how people would react because i did the most fucking about with it <laughs> no it was good i listened i really really enjoyed it thanks a lot dude that's all right man like I said, you're, you're doing good stuff and look i'm not a political person by any stretch of the imagination so um the the fact that i'm like religiously listening to your show and it's you know there's a political element says that you are fucking doing a great job i don't want to be that annoying political person that nobody wants to listen to <laughs> no, you, you're not info wars bro i think you're okay he just lost a big court case today actually really yes he uh was having a custody battle with his ex ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife it didn't go too well for him. He tried to say that his uh, public persona is him being a performance artist. That didn't go over too well. I think uh, he didn't lose custody, but he he had the sole custody of his kids. So now the ex-wife gets to sort of make decisions like where do the kids live, where do they go to school. So, like, yeah. I wouldn't put him in charge of a dog. <laughs> would take his shirt off and yell at it. Oh, absolutely free so we only get to see the extremes and that's what sort of is, is weird on um probably should say this for the show but still um it's that's what's weird on for us on the other side of the world we only get to see the extremes of what's happening in terms of you know your political um <laughs> arena Oof. so it's just like we're just going what the living fuck is going on it's it's crazy and i'm sure there's you know there's there's normal you know political behavior going on and you know there's the business of running the country still happening um and you would certainly hope that there is some good happening but like i said all we see is just the idiocy uh what a a chain is only as strong as its weakest link and uh or or its craziest (laughs) yeah oh i guess uh since the guy running our country i don't think we'll ever do it i would like to apologize to australia <laughs> for him hanging up on uh, Prime Minister oh, yeah. Trumbull. Yeah, no, that... I, I, no, Malcolm Turnbull. 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 Um, yeah, there's a lot of people who want to hang up on Malcolm. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know, he, he's not, he, he's not Trump, um, he's not Trump level. But in turn, look, to make a comparison, he's probably in in terms of um, financial level and everything else. You know, he, Malcolm Turnbull's a self-made man. He is absolutely hardcore, white-collar, liberal suit, right? That's who he is. Um, but the difference is, is he's not a complete dick. He's actually educated and intelligent. Is he the, the best leader of our country? Not. But he, um, he was actually... I mean, he, he, is, he was smart enough to be able to basically say to the party... The guy that's currently running our country, who is the leader of our party, is an idiot. He has to go, and I will run this country, and he's done it. So I give him full credit for that. Two years ago? Three years ago? Yeah. Two years ago. See, for us, that's really weird, because we've like turned over Prime Minister like four times in ten years. Because the party just goes, you're an idiot, get out. And they all they all just turn on him. <laughs> uh, that, would, that would be nice if we had something like that. We have... Uh... Something a little bit more like 1975's Rollerball. <laughs> 1975's Rollerball. Yes, <laughs> where the executives win and no one else has power except them. It's all about Rollerball. It's yeah. the game. 
But it was never a game. It was never a game. It was never I love this movie to so much, dude. It was never supposed to be a game. <sighs> yes, I love this movie so much. I hadn't seen it in a couple years before we decided to do it. And I had the... Okay. Uh, Look, uh, hmm? Please tell me you sort of hadn't seen the 2002 one first. I have never seen the 2002 one. I, I saw this one for the first time, I think, when I was about 16 or 17, when I was getting really, really, really political. And I was like, this is what's going to happen. You know, and then a couple of years later, when W. Bush got elected, I was like, this is going to fucking happen, man. And then, you know, it didn't. It but didn't. It, <laughs> not yet. Well, I think we're closer now. We're definitely closer now. Yeah, we have an executive in charge. Right. And he's put uh, the CEOs of Wall Street in charge of our money. He's put a woman that hates schools in charge of our education system. He's put a guy that. Members of his family. Yes. Which I I was sure that was illegal. But nobody's ever done it before, so nobody knows what to do about it. Ah. And while. At least for the next two years, the um, <laughs> I was just gonna say, sound a lot dancing in the background. Yes, sir. I don't even want to call it the Conservative Party anymore because it's the um, both houses of Congress and the White House are controlled by the right. Hmm. Um, most of our House of Representatives is the people that you've probably heard of called the Tea Party. Yes. That's most of the House of Representatives. And then the Senate is more like the old school people, all the old guys that you've been hearing about for the last, you know, mm. 30 years. Yeah, like jobs for life and all that sort of stuff that have been yeah. here forever. And yeah. They're all there. Uh, they control the entire executive and legislative, legislative branch, and they still can't get anything passed besides... Uh, executive orders overturning everything mm. obama did but it's and pay increases yeah very important uh dear. all right so uh we've kind of half begun which is kind of funny do, do, do you want to just keep going kick off i'm yeah. following your lead sir yeah uh welcome to another episode of the psychosemantic podcast lovingly known to some as the psychosemantic cast joining me today is the witch Hey mate, how are you? Pleasure to be here. The pleasure's half mine, since you already said it's pleasure. I don't want to take away your pleasure. I want to make you happy. But you can share it if you like. I want to give you a... Don't say Vegemite. And those things that everybody in Rollerball was uh, oh. lovingly passing around. They seemed to be different no matter... They all looked the yeah. same, but it was like, here, you're going to get passed out. Oh, here, you're going to... Here's pure aphrodisiac. Here's, yeah. here's, here's drugs for all my friends. Yeah, that was kind of creepy when uh, what Mr. Bartholomew said, good night, moon pie. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We will. We are here, <laughs> serenaded in the background by my son somewhere in the house, um, to talk about 1975's Rollerball, starring James Caan and some other famous people. Um, the, first per the first time I went through the rewatch... I noticed um, the librarian was, I think, yeah. in Dragon Slayer. Yes, he was. Okay, 
That that's what I thought of him as, and there was. Um... And he always seems to play the same character. Yeah, scatterbrained old man. I think he's always been an old man. He's one of those guys that's been the same age for about fifty years. But yes, it's always sort of a bit harebrained, a bit sort of whatever else, but likable. Yes, very likable. Can you hold on one second? Yeah, you're right, dude. Okay, thanks. <laughs> There is no spoon. Yes, there it is. Okay, okay. Can we just talk about the damn movie? Danger, danger. High voltage. When we touch. When we kiss. The flying guillotine is an awesome weapon. It's not practical. It's not even aerodynamic. But it's awesome. Chaps, could we possibly just talk about the movie? Easy Rider is cool. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy Rider's cool. If you consider they're doing thousands of miles in the desert and they have fuel tanks the size of a pea. You'll get three miles out of that. Oh, not to mention one of them. One of the tanks is full of money. I call bullshit. Okay, okay. Can we just talk about the damn movie? Obsessive Cinema Discourse. Where podcast worlds collide. Have you ever looked at a movie and said, what the hell is that? How could a movie with that low of a budget, corny acting, cheesy special effects, or that strange of a plot even be worth watching? Well, have I got the show for you. Join me, Matthew Angry Ginger, for the bad, the weird, and the cheesy. I'll be bringing you on a journey through cinema's oddities. I will cover all genres of film, and hopefully shed some light on why these films are worth watching. Track down the bad, the weird, and the cheesy podcast on Facebook and on Podbean. And now for something completely different. Sorry. You don't have to apologize, dude. As I said, I've, well, my kids are a bit older, but I remember those. No daddy day. <laughs> so, good thing we hadn't really gotten too far, because I kind of forgot what we were talking about. Oh, we were talking about the guy that was in Dragon Slayer. Yeah. Ralph Richardson. That is correct. Well done. Yeah, James Kahn is Jonathan E., John Houseman, wonderful performance by John Houseman as Mr. Oh, Bartholomew. Intimidating yeah. as always. Moses Gunn was Cletus, mm. which that was his buddy that what he used to be on a team with. Yeah, so he used, uh, Cletus was his coach, but he'd also reached the point where he was a low-level executive. Okay, in the uh, in the short story written by. Uh, the guy that did the screenplay. Um, Correct. William Harrison, I believe. Hang on, uh, I can tell you exactly who it was. Yes, William Harrison, and the short story was Rollerball Murder. Yes. That only came out uh, maybe two years before Rollerball the movie came out. I think I don't even know if it was published. It was published in uh, the 1973 issue of Esquire. Okay. In September. I, th- I thought I saw something about... Um, Jewison getting a sneak peek at it before the magazine came out and buying the rights before the Esquire came out. But my uh, background knowledge is mostly restricted to a couple Wikipedia reads and IMDb and maybe one or two short docs about the same. We're working off the, the same information set. It's okay. Okay, cool. When the guest has picked the movie... 
I try to start out with asking, what made you think of this movie? I know you said you really love it, but uh, elaborate, so, please. Elaborate, please. So this this has got a, a lot to do. And I mean, I mentioned it to you last time we were chatting to say that, you know, I probably watch this about once a year with um, a couple of other movies uh, that all sort of inter interconnect, like uh, The Running Man, Salute of the Jugger, Death Race 2000, um, and, and you know they all sort of fit together in terms of the game is everything, mm -hmm. and you know it, it's the it's the distraction to um, confuse the masses and try and stop them thinking about what's really happening. It's right, you know, it pulls right back to to um, even Spartacus to a certain degree. Mm. You know, this is about the arena and. And, you know, the Romans trying to distract the people from the fact that they were starving and, you know, diseased and losing losing the empire. So we'll show them a spectacle and there's blood and guts and forget about it. When you look at the socioeconomic climate of this country, so Australia, when this was released, um, it really it really talks to it because um, Australia, Australia is a sporting nation, right? We, we hold our athletes uh, and our our heroes up very high but there was a point in time where if you're an athlete you know you you were the pinnacle and if you wanted to be in control you needed to be a white collar executive everything else underneath that was essentially blue collar right and you had no control you you went about your thing and you basically lived for the spectacle of your sport whatever that chosen sport may be um, and you left the decisions to guys in suits. And, you know, these, these, is, these are my formative years, you know, like well, this was released in 1975, so I was all of six. Um, and, and sort of growing up through this period, like into the Running Man and Salute of the Jugger, when, you know, I was, I was a little older, I was 18, 19. And, and it, really, it really spoke to me about the way society was. You know, our, our political system is very different to yours. Um, in that, you know, we really, we really only have a two-party system. Um, there's the liberals, which are essentially the the white-collar elite, and I know that that's not wholly true for all of them, but in terms of a general picture, and then you've got the Labor Party, which is essentially the working classes. The liberals have, have run this country off and on, probably more often than than Labor has. So, you know, our current prime minister is is a liberal. Um, and he is the epitome of the liberal. He's a self-made man. He is exceedingly wealthy. Um, you know, he he owns multiple houses in some of the most expensive areas in Sydney. He actually does, much like your your president, doesn't live um, in the the state designated home of the leader of the country. He lives in his own house, mm. which is quite close by to to where it is because he's. His own home was actually, um, obviously, more for him, more effective, more secure, more everything. Um, <laughs> but the difference being that he said, I will cover the cost of the additional security and everything else for me to live in my home. Unlike your current <laughs> leader who said, no, 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 you, you know, I'll live in three different places and go and play golf um, mm -hmm. and the people can pay. And, and um, most of the time, the money will go into my business's pocket because I'm staying at my name brand property. Exactly. Um, 
but getting getting back to the story about rollerball. So even now, this country, as I said, we you know our our sports heroes are they're the distraction of the nation. Um, we can have you know like major weather events, which we had you know months ago, and you know where you know people have had their homes washed away and there's flooding and everything else. Sport will still get precedence over that. Oh yeah, people will, will go. You know what? There's you know there's people losing their homes and everything else. But bugger that, I'm watching the footy because that's important. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's why for me, that's why rollerball. I mean, you know, as uh, as I said to you before we started recording, um, you know, when you said I didn't want to come on, and I said, well, okay, how do I find a movie that uh, resonates to me politically? You know, given that your show has that that style, but it's still you know an important movie and an enjoyable movie to me. It was like rollerball. Because it it says everything um, about like my formative years and my political beliefs. That's, that is the most intelligent stream of consciousness I've produced in many many days. <laughs> well, luckily my kid calmed down enough that there will be no background noise. Maybe he's yelling through the pipes, and my microphone's picking it up, and I'm not hearing it. But don't worry about it. That's what makes it real. To bring Drive. up another person. Do it live. Yeah, do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> Although I'm sure no one wants to be like him anymore because well, he's not very, I'm not a very good person. But getting back to rollerball. Awkward. Um, <laughs> rollerball was uh, apparently quite heavily influenced by um, A Clockwork Orange, which was obviously produced in 1971. You know, it's. Uh, it's after the wars, you know, society's fallen down, and it's got that really resonating classical soundtrack behind it. Oh, beautiful um, soundtrack. Yeah. You know, and there's so much in this that, you know, even today, like I said, the, 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 I have one of the few vinyls that I still own is the, the Clockwork Orange's um, soundtrack. And these two movies, Rollerball and Clockwork Orange, for me, fit really well together. The tone, while the story is quite different, um, you know, the tone of it and that that deeply serious and um, thought-provoking element is there. The way the music plays and even the um, the cinematography and the architecture, uh, for us now, I mean, considering both those movies apparently take place in the near future, which is actually literally now, um, it's interesting to to sort of think about where we're at, you know, politically, socially and everything else and and see that there are elements of those movies in today's society. Oh yeah, there's there's still time to catch up. I think Rollerball is 2018. Running Man's this year. So, yes. Keep your eyes on your local TV listings. Yep. I, I always wanted to work for for the Justice Department Entertainment Division. That was my goal. <laughs> <laughs> because you're a gaming society that's right we're all about the game the game is everything um and, and i mean look I, I know that you know america is you know loves its loves its sport but i think due to the the sheer geographic size of your country um it's it's diversified enough that um there's more than one game and I, I mean, for, for Australia for a very long time, there was only Australian rules football. And that was it, which is, um, yeah, footy. 
uh, essentially, and that that was all there was. Now now we have uh, we have rugby league, rugby union, um, obviously quite a strong soccer nation these days, and any number of other sports. But essentially, it's still about the game, regardless of what game it is. It's about the game. Game. This wasn't meant to be a game. Never. I'll try not to say that every time you say that. But... No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the really cool parts of the movie. It was never supposed to be a game. Why not, you dumb bastard? <laughs> uh, having said that, I want an office like Mr. Bartholomew. I want that office. Oh, surrounded by razor-sharp glass chandeliers? Yes. Or whatever the fuck that stuff was. Yeah, it was just like, it's kind of like part art installation, part security screen. <laughs> Can't come too fast. It's all about being an executive in a grey suit. Now, it's important that you wear a grey suit. Yes. That's how you're in charge because you've got a grey suit. <laughs> and I don't know how long it's been since you've read the short story. Look, I'm, I'm going to front up and say I've never read the short story. You don't really have to because since it was written by the guy that wrote the screenplay, almost everything is exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, I know there were a couple of... Uh, when I was reading, um, on it, there were a couple of small changes, but I've n- I've never read the the short story to be honest. Uh, you know, very 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 minor changes. Like in the short story, Mister Bartholomew is not in charge through the whole thing. Oh. He sort of has his arc in the uh, executive world, but other than that, there's mostly the short story got added to instead of subtracted mm. from for the movie. It's really cool. I found it. Okay. I think legally cool. online, but well, you know, information is free. That's right. Although uh, our FCC here is working to charge hefty prices to the highest bidder to sell everybody's internet browsing uh, history. Yeah, I know. I, I was reading about that not so long ago. It's just like, oh, that's just scary. I mean, we we're going through similar um, issues here with uh, what we call our ISP, Internet Service Provider, mm. um, uh, and being able to, you know, take your take your browsing information and, and on sell it. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a big push towards VPN and everything else. And it's just like um, having, I suppose, been part of the internet since it was in black and white, if you will. Um, <laughs> on punch I'm cards. Of, I, I'm, well, not far off it. Uh, when you hear people like laughingly, you know, make make the the modem sound, I can actually tell you what speed the board is <laughs> when I hear that. <laughs> uh, so I can that, that that's a fourteen four by the sound of it. It's just about, because you know that was I I pretty much started my working life, you know, in in that period, and you know, was going through that. I I don't want to say, but a revolution. In terms of um, the corporate world moving to, you know, desktop computers and um, you know, security communications and all that sort of stuff, you know, I was working during that period and I was like massively interested in it. So it was, you know, going through that and like I remember buying my first three eight six and it being the shit, um, <laughs> and it did bugger all. <laughs> it, it, it had a it had a really crappy Unix interface and I learned how to. And, you know, had a code and everything else. And, you know, 
manually, you know, building boards and all that sort of stuff. And I think I even had an acoustic coupler to begin with, which says a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that going through that period, and I can't remember how I got off on that tangent. Um, but one of the things, so just absolutely off on a tangent, the, the cutting way, way ahead into the movie the um, corporate teleconference. I was watching it going, that's awesome. And this, <laughs> I remember I remember seeing things like that set up, um, you know, in the organisation that I worked for, um, you know, to talk to different offices. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a little camera and a TV screen and all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, that, would, that was the shit. That was the height of technology. Yeah, it, it makes me think uh, that scene in particular, at least this time around, um, as I said, it had been a couple years since I gave it a watch, but uh, made me think of the, the Guild of Calamitous Intent from the Venture Brothers. Don't know if you watched that show. The Guild will decide what is best for mankind. For shame! This Guild was founded to protect and serve man at his best, not to be a Guild of Calamitous Intent. Yeah. 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 Yes, 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 yes. It, and there's a lot of you know the, the the whole you know the the multivision and all that sort of stuff. You know they were they were they were trying and you know I'm sure at the time they were they were going oh my god he had so many televisions in his house. You think about it now, you know he had I think he had three TVs in his house. Your average home now, you know if it's got more than two people it's probably got more than two tvs yeah and a couple tablets and a couple yeah mobile <laughs> phones and laptops and desktops and and everything else so there were screens everywhere and it's just, I, I was literally watching that when he's watching the the multivision of uh, his wife and, and going yep that's you know essentially you could see that on facebook today mm-hmm. yep you know and yeah, that's I feel like the the technology doesn't seem as dated as it does on something like <gasps> hackers. Oh, it's all hackers. So hackers, uh, sneakers, um, any one of those movies where apparently hacking just requires you to have a black screen with green writing and a funky keyboard. <laughs> I just fucking rage at mate. I absolutely rage at because it's just like really, really. I know that stuff is just bullshit, <laughs> and it makes me. It just makes me mad. I want to throw things at the television and go. You're just making people look stupid. <laughs> Luckily, I don't know how to do any of that stuff really. So I only really get mad at movies when musicians don't look like they're actually playing the instrument. So, uh, like Michael J. Fox, Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, you know, he tried. He tried. Yeah. But, you know, maybe he was a little nervous in front of Huey Lewis. I don't remember I don't if why. the rest of the news were there with him. But um... No, it was, I think it was just Huey Lewis from, from memory. Calling, <laughs> calling back to that. But, yeah, no, I've, I've got a mate who's uh, uh, a guitar player, and he has the same reaction. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh. That's not the chord. He's playing different notes and his hands doesn't fucking move. <laughs> That's bullshit. They go grab one of his guitars and goes like this. Like, dude, we just want to watch a movie. Just relax, bro. Just chill, dude. Just, just chill. Just, just chill. 
but you know, <laughs> the com computer nerds do rage about hackers in movies because it's just pants. It's just absolute bullshit. What about sneakers? Does that upset you? I tried not to. I really did, but it, it, it was the whole scene where they're um, they're being traced and they're like graphically showing it and everything else, and they're like mm -hmm. outrunning it. I'm going. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's just bullshit. Unless you're using a mechanical fucking switch. And at, at, the, at the exchange and someone's waiting for you to go, okay, plug in, plug out. That's just not <laughs> how it fucking They're just ripping off uh, Indiana Jones airplane map technology. Yeah. See, and I was fully supportive of Indiana Jones. I went, okay, I can I can get behind that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but... It, it, sorry. No, sneakers again, you know, is that whole thing about... Um, what is it? Oh, I heard ducks at a party. Oh, no, it was, yeah. it was a, oh, that's right. Oh, no. We a went over this party. bridge. Yeah, it was a cocktail party. And it's, it's fucking geese in a brief. I'm going, really? Just fuck off. Stop <laughs> oh, <he's> dumb. <laughs> Getting back to Rollerball, though. <laughs> yes, back to Rollerball. Uh, let's see. 1975. I don't know. Uh, we had a few conversations about hockey, but that was... That was a big year for the uh, Philadelphia Flyers Broad Street Bullies franchise. I don't know if you know about them. Uh, Wayne Man Hockey, the way I was supposed to be playing. In any great drama, you need heroes and villains. Here we go. Oh, now they got the hand break. This is going to be a wild show. Talk about blood being spilt. Actual blood. It's a badge of honor to be a goon. We loved to be hated. They were despicable. We don't have to apologize to nobody. They were our guys. This team unified a city. <laughs> yeah, you know, they would just beat everybody up and score a bunch of goals. They were unstoppable. But yeah, like like you already said, noticing in Australia, the, the gladiator culture was getting really big. Sports were getting more and more violent. Like, I mean, hockey anymore the the fighters are working their way out because yeah. it's not as profitable for the uh the corporate teams no and it's it's actually not as good for the televised game either i feel like it's because, uh, i mean hmm? it, well it slows i mean essentially it slows down the game you know you, you get 30 seconds worth of hardcore brawling and then there's you know we've got to clean the ice we've got to everyone goes in the penalty blah, blah 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 and there's a whole lot of slowing down of the game um that that ruins it and i mean i think hockey now is much it's much faster than it used to be it's oh much yeah fast. it's a lot faster uh, players I mean, are faster well and the players are different too they're not big guys they're they're actual and i well i i salute you know the iron men of hockey they're real these guys are real hardcore athletes 
you know, they run hard. They, you know, they really go flat out for, for the time that they're on the ice. Um, their skill set is quite different. I mean, you know, some of that, some of the, you know, the Ironmen were really just, you know, I mean, if you've ever seen Goon, um, you know, they were essentially just thugs that could, could skate. And that was kind of about it. Very true. I, so. I have a passing knowledge of, of hockey. But, but <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, if you want a slow, mostly American sport, we've got baseball. Uh, see, now, sorry, I, actually, I shouldn't do that. I actually, I quite like, I, I quite like televised baseball. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been to a game. Yeah, in the States. And it was like the longest afternoon of my life. <laughs> oh, where, where'd you um, go? I, uh, um, so I actually went to Wrigley and, and saw a game. Oh, and, cool. But see, I was fascinated with the fact that there's baseball being played in the middle of the week. Oh, yeah. In the middle of the week, sometimes in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's just like, it's like Thursday. Um, you know, how... How can you have like a major, what you know, we would consider a major sporting event, you know, and it's it's Thursday at lunchtime. Who's <laughs> who's watching those games? Oh, who, who's watching? Them? A lot of, if I remember correctly, a lot of North Side Chicagoans. I went to one game at Wrigley myself a long time ago, and there's yeah. sort of a I mean, line I... through the city where the majority of the yeah. fans are between the Cubs and the White Sox. Yeah, and it was just, it was one of those things. I mean, but baseball, yeah, much slower. Televised, it's actually quite good. Um, but yeah, like it, a live game is, is, yeah, just, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> coming from, you know, an AFL background where it really is, you know, they play hard for the full game. Um, you know, there's a, obviously a break for each quarter and a break at halftime. But there, there's no, there's very little stoppage to the actual um, gameplay. Uh, mate, can I just stop for one second? Yeah. Um, I just need to collar Speedy. She's trying to borrow for something. Give me one sec, dude. Okay, no worries. She was she was trying to dig her way through the carpet, and I could just see her catching oh. a hole. <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't sound like it could wait. No worries, anyway, man. No, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Apologies for what I said. I said if, if I'd left her, she just would have would have kept going <laughs> until I actually bloody stopped. She thinks it's hilarious. Um, yes, yeah, so, you know the the game's quite fast and it, it, it doesn't move. So it, it and you know you go to. You, you go to an AFL game and, it, and it's again it's it's watching the gladiators clash and uh, you know that same period you know look, we went through um, probably a bloody period as well in in that sport where you know there were there were brawls there were there were essentially goons you know we had goons and the game now again has changed these guys are now professional athletes I mean when we talk about you know the late to mid 70s a lot of these guys had like day jobs um, and, you know, 
would go to training and everything else and then play on the weekend and, and you know would would have a break at quarter time and have a smoke uh, <laughs> you know and all that sort of stuff. and now um you know now blessed they're professional athletes you know they they don't do anything but you know play football the same as you know nfl players and all that sort of stuff. they don't make near the same money as nfl players but still. god um, few people do new but you know you look at I suppose I look at those players now um, that are you know professional athletes and it's all about the game and you know a lot of them a lot of them have pretty tragic ends to a certain degree uh, you know they they end up you know, drugs and accidents and you know live to excess to the point that they you know die on the roads and all that sort of stuff and then you pull that right back to rollerball and that's kind of the life that they're living to a certain degree yeah. They're just there to play the game. game. This wasn't meant to be a game. Never. That's all they do. They don't make decisions. They they have virtually zero control of their lives because the organization all but owns them. Um and you know, they they're just there to put on a spectacle. Yeah. Corporate wars are a thing of the past. The corporations <laughs> won. That's right, and apparently the corporate wars were ugly. And I can't... I guess I imagine the corporate wars either being, like, security forces battling each other for supremacy, hmm. or a more grander scale rollerball. I'm not sure which... <laughs> you know, maybe on a flat track, or no skates. They added skates when they yeah. turned it into the game. Sort of like that... Uh, Whatever that ancient Aztec sport was that you used to do with heads. Ah, yes. Was it? Wasn't that the precursor for highlight or something? I believe so. Yeah. Highlight. That's an awesome sport. Fucking scary as all crap, but awesome. Yeah, those guys. I don't even know what that motorcycle ramp on their wrist is called, but that fucking launches the ball, dude. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> but see. I, it's just really cool. See, I, I, I think about the corporate wars and, I mean, there's any number of books that have done it, you know, um, and I think one well, might be a Highland book called Friday. I want to say it's called Friday um, that goes into real detail about it. And there's another one that I've read called, no, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I've read so many books that have that as a central thing. It's not funny. But I always saw it as, you know, like that... The, the, the corporations, you know, basically, you know, eating up the the small competitors to the point where they, you know, they own vast tracts of land. She's beautiful. She's rich. She's got huge tracts of land. And everything else. And they've got security forces and, um, you know, and they basically just go, you know what, a hostile takeover is literally a hostile takeover. You know, the point that they just take full control uh, and just wipe it out. I mean, to the point that, you know, I mean, they talk about what is it? Food, energy, housing, leisure, and privilege? I, I think so. And I know there was a little bit of talk Transport. about how they, they're, yeah, how they merged a little bit. Yeah. You're not sure who's in charge of what. Yeah. Just that yeah, no one knows who the executives are anymore. They're, they've reached a point where they are the super elite, super elite um, but they control everything. 
Uh, and, you know, weirdly enough, I, I covered Soylent Green just a couple of weeks ago. Similar thing. You know, the super elite control everything and the masses have no idea what the reality is. Yeah, the the corporate society evolved out of, uh, like, the national states, sort of like how um, feudalism used to be. Hmm. Yeah. It's just, just a few people at the top. We all we ask is that you don't you don't interfere with executive decisions. Uh, like Mr. Bartholomew oh, is very father like, sort of patronizing. Yeah, oddly enough, I literally had had a note um, when Jonathan was talking to Mr. Bartholomew, and I literally wrote, "Mr. Bartholomew talks to Jonathan like a child." Uh, it's yeah, and you know you will comply, you will do what you are told. We we can't have uh, an individual being more popular than the corporation. That's exactly it. Because that's how revolutions get started, <laughs> and that's bad for business. Well, yeah, so it's bad for the people that you know really just want things done. I mean, I, it's funny I, the section where um, he's going through the interview and, and for Multivision, and you know you listen to the interview and it's just. He's so arrogant and he's so condescending. It's just like, yeah, you're you're someone with just a little bit of power and you're abusing the crap out of it. And that's what that society is all about. Just people with a little bit of power, just squeezing what they can out of it because the guys above them are doing exactly the same thing on a slightly larger level. Keep pushing that shit downhill. Yep. Yep. That was the goal. That was always the goal. Be a suit. Be a man. Make decisions. Because there was no way I was going to be an athlete, <laughs> and that was that was one of the slight differences from the uh, from the short story. But they worked it seamlessly in. Um, Jonathan, when he was doing the narration, just rolled off those stats. Instead, mm. they created that snide character to rattle off. But it's it's verbatim, quote for quote. And I think that's just sort of adds, like you said, to the the hateful hierarchy. That is yeah. like the corporate ladder. Yes, and it, it's even even to the point you know we haven't really touched on this. The fact that the the corporation gave Jonathan a companion. You know, women are completely property. Yeah, like in yeah. most dystopias. Well, that's right. You know, Soylent Green had its furniture and. Um, you know, what was interesting is towards the end when you realise that Jonathan's wife didn't get taken away, she left. She left because all he, ha- all he had was the game and and that was it. Now, you know, sure, Jonathan did, did uh, go with a little bit of light stalking when he was in, uh, in Rome near a house outside for four or five hours. More creepy. Um, but, you know, essentially that, you know, the... the and I know I, I'm jumping back and forth, but when you... When they're in, at the party, um, you know, and all the executives are there with their companions and, you know, the athletes walk in, there's an almost identical scene in the series Spartacus, which I'm not sure whether you've seen. Uh, I've, I've, I saw maybe one episode, so I'm, I'm aware of the show, but... Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was about uh, a gladiator school if you will essentially they were you know slaves being being trained but you know they would you know the the roman elite would have a party and they would 
parade the gladiators through. Uh, and, you know, the, the women would touch them. And, you know, there was a comment during the party, you know, you can almost smell the lions. Mm, and, yes. You know, these, you know, that's what these guys were. And, you know, there's a there's a bit where, you know, Moon Pie pretty much just says, you know, do you like poetry? Let, let me let me take you upstairs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, yeah, go on. At, at that at that part, I looked to see if they overdubbed, maybe because I kind of thought he was going to say, let me show you my Longfellow. <laughs> that, that was probably, probably you know, the, the iteration, I think, and just trying to put it in there without, without going right over the top. Um, Moon Pie you know, wouldn't was... know Longfellow. Oh, no, no. Well, he, he might have someone told him or wrote it down <laughs> for him. Um, you know, there's, there's points where you, you know, you read about, you know, the gladiators and everything else where, you know, the, the wives of the Roman elites would basically use them as breeding stock, um, you know, uh, because they were, you know, big, athletic, strong men. Um, and essentially you can see that happening that, you know, there was similar behaviors, um, just in that party. Uh, it was quite clear that these guys were being paraded. Yeah, I feel like there was an orgy that happened that they didn't show. That every time I watch it, that's kind of what I pictured. I mean, those yeah, there's that one group of people that goes off with that weird pistol cannon, uh, <laughs> just as another demonstration of rich, giggly people that have no idea what they're doing, playing around with destruction. Yeah, just, just ridiculous success. Yeah. And they're talking about how they hear the rollerballers are robots. <laughs> Especially Brad Pirate and the robots. And they don't feel a thing and they're shitty. You know, and you can smell the lions and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it, it's, it, I think it helps emphasize, you know, the fact that what they were, they were gladiators. And, and what it did, and I think the first time I watched this movie, it was like, there was a point where you're going, no, You've watched it and you're going, you know, Jonathan is he's his own man and everything else. And then you see that and you go, actually, he's not. He's not even close to his own man. Yeah. Um, and that's what's bothering him. All of a sudden, you know, it comes to him that he, you know, he loves the game. He loves being the gladiator. He loves, you know, being at the pinnacle. And he can't, he can't see himself doing anything else. And that's the biggest problem. He actually has no identity outside of being the gladiator. And yeah, he he struggles through. <clears throat> excuse me. He he struggles through that the whole movie in his quest to become his own man while staying the only man he knows who he is. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. I mean, like that's why. I mean, for me, it was sort of like. Having, I think there's about three or four seasons of Spartacus, um, and you know you watch that, and there are real, real direct callbacks through through the movie and that and that series about you know this man's struggle to to essentially be his own man, to to find out who makes the decisions about his life, to to ask the questions, and you know you're looking at to a degree an absolute dumbing down of society. You know, the books are all gone. Mm -hmm. 
um, they've, or, they've, or they've been expurgated to the point where they're, you know, they're corporate propaganda. Um, so, you know, you, you look at Fahrenheit 451 um, and, you know, any number of other movies like that where it's don't ask questions, don't read the book, don't understand it. And then, you know, he goes to the, to the library in Geneva and it's like, well, we lost the 13th century. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of corrupt popes and, you know, and Dante. Yeah, we won't worry about it. It'll be fine. You won't use it anyway. Yeah, that's right. We, you know, it, and of course, you know, those that ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Um, which, the only thing that really bothered me about this movie is you don't really, I suppose you don't really get a view of what the the common people are really like outside of the arena um you don't know you don't know what their lives are like what they do what their struggle is you only know that obviously they're a, essentially a class below um the athletes to a certain degree and then the executives overarch over the top of them yeah and all they seem to well they only show them at the arena but i guess that's the stripped down center of society anymore the focus the distraction the eternal corporate distraction i know um i don't think this was in the movies but another thing was uh very overpopulated especially a lot Mm. of the, the major metro centers like you had to have special licenses to even go to new york and stuff yeah because there were just too many people and you got to thin the herd with rollerball. Oh, that's exactly it, you know. Um, and so you've got to wonder. I mean, this is the whole bit where um, Jonathan's training the new recruit. Mm. So, you know, do, do, the, do the common common people, and I use that only in the context of the movie, um, do they aspire to be athletes? Do they aspire to, you know, become rollerballers? Or do they, you know, do they aspire to, you know, fight their way through the corporate ladder, which I, I would, I would imagine is probably next to impossible. Yeah, I guess there's there the two levels because uh, in the early, I think after the first game when Bartholomew's going in and appraising his stock, mm. he says that uh, rollerballers want to be as powerful as executives and executives all wish that they were rollerballers. Yeah. So I guess the, the logic of it would probably be splintered earlier on too. I mean, the super smart, well-connected, probably children of the, uh, the executive class Mm. go to business school and they go that way. And, the. strong kids i don't i I imagine at that point there's just manual laborers and rollerballers on the less privileged point of society well you know it's yeah it's like the um you know the 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 story of you know the 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 poor kid that gets a basketball scholarship Mm -hmm. you know and becomes super athlete You'd, you'd sort of see it as that way that no doubt that there are you know there are scouts looking for athletes of any sort to to turn them into rollerballs. I mean, you know, obviously there's trading between them because, you know, one of the guys comes from, I think, Manila or something else like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they mention it. So, yeah, there was, 
I know that's sort of getting down to minute detail, but it's sort of one of the questions that I had in my mind is where did where do they come from? You know, you talk about gladiators. Well, that was simple. They were slaves. They were criminals. <laughs> you know, you, you went to the arena essentially as as a, as a death sentence. Yeah, the uh, I think we as we as people have long enjoyed at least large sections of people uh, long enjoyed watching public executions. Well, look, it, it gave people a sense of community. <laughs> uh, we will smell the lions. So, you know, you look at, you know, you look at the French Revolution and, you know, when they were beheading, um, you know, the elite, you know, people came out, they brought their children, <laughs> they made a day of it. Um, and, you know, there's the spectacle and because ultimately... It was a distraction from the absolute drudgery that was their life. Um, it's a bright future. Oh, and the future's so bright, I've got to wear shades. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 80s callback. Um, question for you. Yes, sir. Did you notice in the very in the final that New York were wearing red, white, and blue? Let me check my notes. Oh, I have... Uh... All American New York written down. I'm not sure. I definitely remember the blue. Yeah, so it was it was red, white, and blue, and they had like stars in their helmet. And I'm going that was an interesting choice, considering that um, you know Houston was orange, like Madrid was green. I think um, Tokyo was yellow, like so primary colors. Uh, well, you know primary shades anyway. Um, and it was just like, I, I was curious as to whether there was a message there. I'm sure there was. I mean, the uh, Jewison, that's, yeah, Jewison's the director, and uh, Harrison? I keep forgetting his name. Uh, the the guy that yeah, wrote Harrison. it. Harrison, yeah. in particular, was all about the symbolism, all about the covert and overt messaging throughout the movie that he really wanted to get through. I mean, from just what he was seeing there, uh, I guess America... Stripped down could be New York. I mean, that's mm. the symbol of America is often the Statue of Liberty. I can't remember what corporation New York was. No, because what Houston was energy. Yeah, Madrid. I think was transport, and Tokyo was. I think I want to say food. I can't remember. I think but we yeah. knew that Houston, Houston was energy. I mean, they were quite clear that you know Houston was the energy town and and, and everything else. And I think in uh, in the short story, the the game took place in New York, but it was actually the All Star Game it was the culmination of ah. the season. So it was people from all the teams, mm. which, which would make more sense. It, it would, I think, since they you know, uh, fleshed it out in the movie with a lot more backstory and, um, you know, monologues, I, don't, I guess, because the, the short story is only seven pages long. Mm. And uh, I just got really, really congested there for a second. I'm, I apologize. That's all right, um, But yeah, whatever New York was, was just New York. And... That was the final game of the season. 
throughout, I don't even think we talked about that. Um, well, we sort of talked about how they don't want him to be, uh, they don't want Jonathan to be bigger than the corporations and more popular, but in the movie, they want him to quit. Yeah. And they well, more than just quit, quit. Or, or die playing. Yeah. Which I think they really would have, especially after he declined to quit at the very beginning. I think they transitioned the the plan to let's get him killed during a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you look at the very, you know, the last game, there were no penalties, no substitutions, no time limit. Yep. So, you know, it was absolutely, you know, that is, that's the arena. Last man standing. Blood on the track. Yeah. That's exactly it. You know, release the lions. Good luck. Those <laughs> <laughs> uh, about to die salute you. Um, you're inside a giant roulette wheel with 300 kilometer per hour. I think that's what they said was the top speed. Yeah, um, something like metal balls. Um, I think sometimes the balls were oddly shaped and oddly weighted, so they bounced around like. Yeah, there, there wasn't. They, they didn't roll smoothly. They were definitely they sort of jink and and, and swerve around. Having said that, a, like a ball that's big enough to hold in your fist that's solid metal, that's got to be heavy. It's got to yeah. be seriously heavy. Um, you know, well, you hear Jonathan drop it at one stage, and it's a real. It mm-hmm. doesn't bounce. It just sort of goes, just you know, around, and <laughs> and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm not getting in front of that. No way, no way. Uh, <laughs> but See. yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you know, you look at, I think you look at that last game more than anything else, and you know, even after Moon Pie's killed, and you know, and, well, he wasn't killed. Sorry, he was reduced to a vegetative state. Um, you know, that was done to say, we can get to you. You know, you need to you need to step away, or we're going to destroy the people around you. Yeah, and you know, and the fact that he wouldn't let go of, of Moon Pie, um, you know, and obviously kept him in his little. And, and I wrote, wrote this, and this is look, this is terrible that I wrote it, but I wrote, "Wow, Moon Pie has a really nice veggie patch." Uh, <laughs> not proud of that comment, but I said it. Uh, <laughs> Um, but you know, he, Jonathan obviously cared about his team. He cared about his teammates. He cared. And I think that was part of his struggle. He knew that they would do everything they could to, um, to destroy him and everyone around him. And, uh, you know, he, you could see there were times when he was almost ready to quit. He was almost ready to, to just go, you know, these people are going to die. Essentially my family are going to die. I'll, I'll give it up. And, but he still kept coming back to it because he, he couldn't he couldn't see himself as anything else. He had that one moment, um, especially in the movie, like you were talking about when they showed him how they could get to him by was it a punch to the back of the head or to boot to Moon Pie? That was the final yeah, so, blow. So the final blow was there's the sequence where they're talking uh, when they're in the training room talking about how to uh, well they're, they're attempting to be trained and how to combat. Tokyo's playstyle and Moonpie talks about the ganglia, ganglia. Messing nerves. Messing nerves back of the ear. Hit him in the jaw. Rings a bell. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> but 
it, I mean, that's essentially what they did to him. They literally just like smashed into that mess of nerves and you know left him in a in a vegetative state, left him brain dead. Um, you know, to to teach him a lesson. So you know, the question is, he, was there, you know, was there somewhere on the team that said, you know, do that to Moonpie to teach him a lesson? Was you know, was Japan uh, sorry Tokyo's brief just to you know kill as many people as they could? Yeah, I mean. I think that's that's one of the underlying uh, goals, it seems, uh, especially when there's no time limit, is if you kill everybody, you're good to go. But I, I really feel like you said they specifically targeted Moon Pie. And yeah. you know, he, he's the rising star of the team. He's really close to the captain. When he gets dragged off the track and they go into that that center area, I don't, a question for you: uh, Did you notice that when they went into the center and Jonathan's sitting there looking at Moon Pie, being non-responsive, that pretty much all the sound went away, yeah. like being yeah, in the yeah, eye of a hurricane? Yeah, it was pure silence. It was just that moment, and you know, it, it was that it was that moment of, of, of Jonathan just. Almost, I, I actually, I wrote it, I wrote, Jonathan snapped. And you could just see, he, everything just switched off. And, you know, it was that, like you say, eye of the hurricane, he's just gone, yep, everything else is gone. And, you know, he went back out, out there after it happened, and you could see he was just going to wreck guys. Yeah. I think that's when he skated up and punched that guy in the back of the head also, or smashed his face. Yeah. They did a really good job since part of the message of this movie was supposed to be anti-violence at really showing how killing people wasn't really any big deal. I feel like a decent amount of the deaths they didn't really even focus on. And there was a lot more focus on the expressionlessness on people's faces when they were doing it. Yeah. There wasn't like, it wasn't gore. It was just, you know what, this is what I have to do. This is how I survive. Um, and, and it's just like, I just have to do this. And like, so, you know, they really, you know, they didn't focus on, you know, the, the gore or um, the the actual performing of the killing blow. It was, this was just a necessity for them. And one of the things that, that I noticed in stepping away from the story was the fact that these were all practical stunts. Right? So there were guys there riding motorbikes, you know, with roller skates, Smashing into stuff, jumping, getting thrown, getting kicked—you um, know—that—that's pretty full on, considering that now it, probably ninety-five percent of that would be CG. Mm-hmm. Close-ups on the face. Were, yeah, close-ups on the face, and then a—you know—then a, then a CG, and you know, probably be a bit more blood and gut. But you know, just the just the thought of riding around essentially a velodrome. Um, on a motorbike and with guys on like roller skates, I'm going, no way, no way in hell am I getting anywhere near that. But you know, they, they did it. You know, there's there's scenes where you know the bikes like towards the end where there's you know carnage all over the track and the bikes are smashing into stuff and guys are going flying. I'm going, that's like that's a legit dude, like flipping forwards over a smashed whatever and you know and essentially sort of landing face first into the velodrome. going, oh mate. I mean, there was a there was a note said that said this was the first movie to actually pay full credit to the stunt team, and rightly so. 
Um, like I, 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 I know that we're sort of pulling away from where we were, but oh, um, it was it was it was really listen, thinking about you know listen, the, the death blows and, and the the carnage um, made me sort of remember that actually these are real guys. You know, I mean they're actors, sure, but there's a lot of that that couldn't be faked. Yeah, you know, James Conn wanted to do was, a lot of his own stuff too. Well, yes, and again, that wouldn't happen today. It'd be like, no, 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 no. 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 Well, see, and you see the the two thousand and two version, which I, I hold my hand up and say is complete rubbish. Um, <laughs> is was much bloodier, much bloodier, and it was more about the gore and everything else, which is why it's not as good a movie. That and it's got Freddie Prince Jr. Ooh. Yeah, 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 not good. Yeah, I think I'll continue to not watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you're fairly safe saying, no, no. <laughs> Not for me. And I think the um, the head stunt coordinator on the film, is, is like you were talking about with Jonathan training the rookies and dropping the, the rollerball, I'm pretty sure that was the head stunt coordinator that was the always a big fella that he made skate around the track and try to take him down. Ah, the guy from Manila. Tuffy. Yeah. Pretty sure that was the guy. Oh, okay. We gave See, him that now little... I'm, now I'm going to have to check. Walter Scott. Walter Scott. Walter Scott was, uh, was Tuffy. I'm just having a look to see exactly what. Walter Scott's done quite a few things. Yeah, Primarily was... as a stunt coordinator. He's done, actually, he's done a fair bit of TV. Really? Yeah. Well, that's good. Some people don't make it out of rollerball. No, well, as we saw at the end of the game, there was really only two of them that walked away. And oh, see, when when Jonathan executes the guy right in front of the executives, yeah, you know, he's he just you know, and that visual, that visual of Mister Bartholomew standing up in in the corporate box. You know, holding onto the rails. You're just going. That is so, you know, Caesar in the arena, just standing up. You know, looking down across the people and and the carnage below him, and you know, surveying it, getting ready to basically, you know, choose life or death for for the the men that he's looking down on. Thumbs up, thumbs down, Mr. Bartholomew. I make my That's own, sh- call my own shots. That's and his henchman that looked like uh, the husband from Bewitched. Which I, I don't think he was, but... Uh, no, he, he was neither Dick York nor Dick Sergeant. <laughs> Sergeant York. Um, See, and the only reason I know that is the fact that I uh, um, I heard a joke that said, what happened with the, the change in, in husband in Bewitched? Who the hell changes Dick's mid-season? <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's the only reason I remember that it's Dick York and Dick Sam. But he seemed to change. I don't know if he was always on Jonathan's side, but right there in that climactic scene, he's up there with everybody else screaming and chanting Jonathan's name. And it's almost just Mr. Bartholomew staring down like, oh, fuck. 
Well, so you have to the the the, the corporate um, monkey in me was sort of going, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen to Mr. Bartholomew after this. Because seriously, you know, it, it's all going to land on his shoulders. Um, you know, there is no there's no getting away from the fact that this was his responsibility. He had to make this happen, um, and he's failed to deliver. Now, you know, if if this was Rome, he'd end up in the arena. Oh, he would not last long. <laughs> no, yeah, not not fast on his feet. Definitely not fast. <laughs> uh, you know where you've seen Mr. Bartholomew's aid? Where's that? You will have seen him in um, episode four of Star Wars: A New Hope as General Morton. Oh, the one in, that's uh, in the yes, choking in the, in the death. In the Death Star. Vader, release him. That's where you see. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that is definitely both both things I've seen in my childhood, but I have definitely watched Star Wars movies a lot more now that I yes. don't have to watch what my older sister makes me watch on TV. <laughs> see, I was the older sibling, so I got to control it. I'm in the middle. We had a weird... Uh, well, not weird. I guess it was probably good, but we each had an allotted amount of time per week that we were allowed to watch TV. Yeah, that was pretty much the same for us. We could uh, store it up for movie marathons on the weekend or even trade our time amongst siblings for favors like currency. Mm. And uh, somehow the older... I, I'm in the middle. Uh, my older sister always knew how to game us all. Or talk us that, into that using our job, time. That is the job of the elder sibling. Um, Life lessons. Yeah, let's see. I learned how to become a corporate scumbag from being the elder sibling. How to manipulate <laughs> the people around me to get what I wanted and still come out on top. Straight for the executive class. That's me. And, and But somehow I'm, I think I'm back. I'm, I'm in the rollerball team there. Uh, back amongst My the days in the yeah, my, my days in the executive class are well and truly done. <laughs> I realize it was more fun in the trenches. Fuck yeah, dude. Um, let me see. There's like so much to say about this movie. So uh, we could the, talk for hours and hours, but w was there anything um, that we haven't talked about yet that uh, is just screaming to be addressed? I'm just, I'm just going to have a quick squeeze... Uh, through my quite extensive notes. I don't know how you take notes, but I tend to take notes um, not dissimilar to the way that I sort of talk um, when I do, do my show. Is It's a stream of consciousness, so I sort of watch the movie and just write random stuff as it's going on. Yeah, usually, and, if, I've, if I've seen the movie before, usually I do that the first watch through. And if I haven't, yeah, I usually do that on the second time through. See, I'll, I actually find that... I, um, I have to do it on the, even if, if I've seen it or not said I need to take my notes first time out and I need to make sure I've had a reasonable break um, from watching it to make sure that I get um, I suppose like um, honest responses mm. and notes and go oh so I don't know that um, now I did I, this is completely random but um, the bikes that they use are, are one two five Hondas they don't make that noise. They're not near that loud. And they're not near that powerful either. You try to drag two guys on a little 125, 
I hate Chains in Hell. Um, <laughs> same, same. Um, I think the only other thing I had was, after all that time, how have they not improved roller skates? I think they spent their time um, developing. Uh, yeah, I don't know because I, I I feel like the ball is really simple. The motor, I mean, they did make that one improvement on the motorbikes where early on in rollerball, they didn't have those shields around the handlebars, so you could yes. skate up and yank, and they would just go oh. down. But I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's easier to kick somebody to death in that form of, of roller skate. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It was just something that sort of popped into my head. I went, yeah, I mean... You know, given the the time, they were the you know the roller skates, obviously. That sort of like surely, you know, they could have done something to make the skates look a little bit more. I don't know, futury. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was, just, it was just one of those weird things that popped into my head to say, why, why the, you know, why are the skates not better? Um, were they rollerblades in the remake? Yes. I, I yes, kind of expected that. Yeah. See, the, the remake was um, one of the early WWE um, brunch uh, oh. they did. So it's got it's it has actually like a number of the a number of the not the the athletes in WWE, but like um, there were managers and I even think Vince McMahon's sons in it as you know one of the owners of the team and stuff like that. Uh-huh. This is going, but I've, I've seen it maybe twice, and both times I went, no, it's just no shit. Um, <laughs> but I, rem- I, I, I remember the reason that I, I primarily saw it was that it was a, it was a WWE um, franchise element. And I went, oh, okay, you know, at the time I was, you know, wrestling still fun. It's, you know, it's, it's the, the great, uh, great working class escape, if you will. Um, as long as you don't get too serious about it, uh, <laughs> and. and and um, yeah, I mean, watching him go, oh, yeah, he's a but yeah, I'm pretty sure they had rollerblades in it. And there's a whole sequence about um, what do they call it? Is it street luge? That that you is know, a the, thing. Yeah, the there's a whole street luge sequence with um, Freddie Prince Jr. and LL Cool J, um, because the ladies love Cool James. Um, <laughs> Did he knock someone out? His mother did tell him to knock someone out. Um, and, you know, there's a whole street loop sequence, which I, I didn't understand what they was in there for, but it, uh, I do remember that again. I don't know. They, they also, I think, one of the things that I heard about that movie, it was made, it was made sometime around 2002, right? Yeah, it was released in 2002. It took place closer in the future than this rollerball does because this yeah, rollerball was yeah. what in the 70s and it takes place in 2018 and the remake it was like 2005 yeah it was something like that and it was and it was more around like they they were actually um they were actually closer to gladiators in the 2002 version and i think from memory freddie prince jr was trying to escape um and like you know gain his freedom and and you know and get out of it uh, because it was all weird. It was semi-underground 
blahdy blah, and it was all, and it was, it was, I don't know. Listen, I, I, the story wasn't really the big selling point for that. Movie. <laughs> um, and I remember it was one of the, it was the stage where, like every other low budget movie was being shot in places like Estonia and all that sort of stuff because you know they could pretty much buy a whole village for a couple of grand um so there's a whole lot of stuff there and i think turkey and other places like that and you know the russians were bad guys and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm putting a lot more effort into it than is really needed because it's not a good uh, well we'll we'll stop making you relive that <laughs> bad bad memory <laughs> It sound, it sounds like a bad time for everybody. Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anybody that's ever said anything good about it. That's, well, it's just not. It's just not good. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not even. It's not even bad to the point of going. You know, there's movies that are bad that you go, no, it's so bad. It's kind of cool and a bit funny. This is just not good. The only other thing that I had in my notes was the fact that um, Norman Jewison also directed In the Heat of the Night and The Hurricane. Did he now? Yes, he did, which are two um, pivotal uh, American movies and, and quite um, both quite controversial at the time. Yeah, I, uh, I'm more familiar with In the Heat of the Night. So The, the Hurricane was 1999, so you know, relatively recent. And, oh, um, is that, that's about the boxer, the, right? Yeah, the Ruben Hurricane Carter. Yes. Oh, okay. I have seen that once. Yes, with Denzel Washington. Yes. I wonder what... Where'd he go? Love Denzel Washington. Just trying to think what the last thing he did. I don't know. He did a thing with... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I, I really don't. My, my, my current movie viewing is um, quite different. Once upon a time, I would consume you know, movies. <laughs> On mass, and now I'm a lot more selective about what I watch that's new. But I, w I will trawl through, you know, movies that are 30 and 40 years old quite happily. <laughs> well, they've stood the test of time. Whereas the remake of the Magnificent Seven, which is, I think, the last thing he might have done. Oh, that could be. It. And you know what? I actually just saw that a couple of weeks ago. Did you? Yeah. It's and that's how that's how much effect it had on me that I just went, <laughs> yeah. Gone from my memory. His last movie was Training Day. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I'm sure he's done Training stuff Day. in between, but yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Um, yeah, Denzel Washington. I'm trying to think what was it? What movie I watched with with Denzel Washington that I actually remember Denzel Washington being with? And it would have to be Synchronicity. That's got Russell Crowe in it as well. It's Synchronicity. I think so. Are are you required as an Australian citizen to watch all Russell Crowe movies? Okay, so here's the deal with Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe is not actually an Australian. Oh, he's not. Actually, I'm sorry. He's a New Zealander. Oh, I'm really sorry. I know that's kind of a faux pas. Well, and this is this is the thing that we will lay claim to to Kiwis quite happily. Um, until I do something stupid. And then we go, <laughs> nope. No, not ours. He's one of you. You can have him back. So Rust Rusty was doing pretty well until he started assaulting people with telephones. 
And then we went, no, 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 he's a Kiwi. Off you go, Rusty. Um, he gets the same treatment as Mel Gibson, basically. Ah. Uh, where he, uh, he... Mel, would, yeah. <laughs> Mel was an Aussie until he got weird and anti-Semitic. And we went, no, no, actually, he's an American. <laughs> he's been here long enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. he started there, came here, went back. And we went, no, no, you can stay. It, it's, it's, okay. it's okay. But, you know, Rusty is actually a, a Kiwi. We're not legally required to watch uh, watch Rusty. Although, in terms of political movies, if you've ever seen Romper Stomper, uh, absolutely uh, amazing movie, quite jarring, but quite really, really good. I'll have to I'll have to look into that because I have not. So, the easiest way to relate it is Romper Stomper is our equivalent of American History X. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, and that's at a very broad brush level. Um, uh, quite quite different. Um, and uh, oddly enough, that was actually um, my first introduction to to uh, Rusty. Oh. And he, he plays a, a neo-Nazi skinhead. And it, it is, it's quite a jarring movie, but worth a watch. I will definitely have to check out check that out. I've been uh I think the last Nazi related film I saw was Swing Kids. Okay. <laughs> I went back through oh. that. I'm not familiar with Swing Kids. Oh, that is uh speaking speaking of speaking of foreigners, uh <laughs> that that stars the Welshman Christian Bale. Ah and it's uh, loosely based on history of the swing dance culture, underground culture of teenagers in Nazi Germany. Ah, interesting. So uh, Christian Bale and uh, God, what's his name? Have you seen uh, Dead Poets Society? Well, I think it's requisite for people of my age bracket. Yeah. <laughs> The, the guy that wanted to be an actor that had the asshole dad that, spoiler alert, kills himself. Yes. He he and Christian Bale and a couple other guys are friends in uh, okay. the different paths people take. And uh, there's, you know, secret underground swing dance clubs and... Swing Hile! They get imported black market jazz records and shit because... They're banned because most of them are by black people or, you know, or Jews. Yeah. That's uh, 1990s. That, that sounds quite interesting. I'm like, okay. I, I can honestly say the last um, Nazi movie I watched was Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS. Ooh. Is that a teaser for uh, upcoming? Uh, I, I, I can't say too much. Oh, okay. Cool. It may be it may be on the list. Um, yes, uh, actually, I will I will spoil because this will be this will come out after this week's show. Yes, um, I've literally just finished watching uh, Daughters of Darkness, Ooh. which is a French lesbian vampire movie. Very nice. And yes, so I'm going to be I'll be recording that one tomorrow. It was uh, it was very different. I quite enjoyed it. it <laughs> I mean, but no, yes, 
Yes, Ilsa She Wolf for the SS is uh, if you're not familiar with the Ilsa series, oh yeah, it, it's it's Nazi exploitation, um, women exploitation, uh, red crayon violence, you name it, it's all there. And that's from the the seventies as well, correct? Nineteen seventy-five's Ilsa She Wolf for the SS, followed by. Then there's, I think there's Ilsa, um, Harem Keeper to the Oil Sheiks, then Ilsa, Tigress of Siberia, and then I think Ilsa the Mad Witcher from memory. Ooh, Ilsa gets around. Ilsa gets around, and <laughs> if, you've nev- if you've never seen Ilsa, I, look, I, I actually recommend to everyone to see one at least one Ilsa movie, just to say you've done it. You'll feel a bit weird afterwards. I can guarantee that. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things you kind of have, have to see to, to to believe. Right on. Well, hopefully everybody checks out. You know, you don't necessarily have to have seen the movies to enjoy your show, but it definitely helps. Well, I- well, I think sometimes you either you either have to see them to understand some of the weird call-outs that I make, or you'll end up sort of going, no, I actually want to know why you said stupid things like, Peru, um, <laughs> to, to understand it. But no, you don't need to. I, I like to think that I give enough information or a general feel for the movie in the in the short span of time that I, I used to review them. Now, since since we're at this point... Uh, why don't you tell us where to find you and what what wow. you do, sir? What I do? I So I, I produce a show called Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock, uh, which is based on the premise that a, a man living in a bunker in the not-too-distant future um, <laughs> has, to, has to survive by scavenging um, and, and finding entertainment amongst the, the rubble of, of society. And uh, he finds movies and things and records his, his thoughts and his views. The exciting part is it's done in 15 minutes, which means you can listen to it having a smoke, taking a dump, on the way to work, eating your sandwich. It doesn't matter. You can get it in, get it done. And if you bless it, if you like what, what you hear, you might want to watch the movie, or if you already know the movie. You might learn something that you didn't already remember. You can find me, and I say this with a great deal of pride, on the Legion Podcast Network. Just Google search Legion Podcast and you will find me in there. You can find me on uh, Facebook as The Witch, T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. We have a Facebook group, which is The Witch versus uh, The Doomsday Clock. You can find me on Stitcher, on YouTube, on uh, any one of your Android devices, if you just search for which W-Y-C-H, uh, or even Doomsday Clock, you will find me. And I think this week, um, we've just released episode 13. Chugging along. Getting there. See, 15 minutes, mate. You can get that done on a weekly basis. <laughs> it's fucking fucking brilliant show. and uh, Thank you, mate. Definitely honored to have you on here taking time away from that and time away from your morning uh if <laughs> you're gonna have it's to saturday let me morning. know it's yeah, saturday it morning saturday morning yeah, it's saturday morning and that usually means that um my house is empty because oddly enough my family are all out playing sports <laughs> the hell you say 
Yes, and there you go. As I said, we're a sporting nation. Well, you're gonna you're gonna have to let me know if Bo lays down an edict that you guys aren't allowed to do shows out of network because I think you wonderful legionnaires or legionistos. I don't know what the. Oh, I don't know. Legionnaires. Legionnaires sounds well, good. Well, let's go with legionnaires. As long as it's not legionnaires disease, I think we're okay. <laughs> oh, no. It's 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 a wonderful thing that is spreading and ever-expanding, um, the Legion mm. Network. But if uh, Bo ever lays down an edict that you guys can't do out-of-network shows, I'm going to have to branch out because I think you make up about 60 70% of my guests. Don't worry about that. Well, I certainly hope Bo doesn't do <laughs> oh, um, that's all i know about that song but oh, see um, you just you just pulled me back to the last episode i did which was bride of the reanimator and i used white wedding as the backtrack for that yeah such a good song i think uh go ahead please no you're on. i th- i think that was the first album i ever bought on cd on CD. Yes. I think the first thing I ever bought on tape was Weird Al. Okay. But, uh... I, think the... <laughs> I couldn't tell you the first tape I bought. I remember having a crap load of copy tapes. I think the, <laughs> first CD, the first CD I ever bought was Iron Maiden's Power Slave. That's a way better choice. Oh, it was awesome because I actually... that would And oddly enough, that was the first concert I ever went to as well. I really? Iron Maiden on the Power Slave. Yes. I know uh, they're on the power slide. Have they been through lately? I know they're always on tour. I haven't seen them in about four years, four or five years. So they were here. They were here last year. I didn't get to see them, but I did see them the time before that. It was about, oh, yeah, probably, uh, oh, shit, five years ago. Okay. I've got my, love me some, some live maiden. Cannot go wrong. Now, does he always ask... Uh, wherever he's at to uh, to scream for him. I've only ever seen him in the same city, so <laughs> I didn't know if he ever if he if that's his deal. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, did Dicko usually says yeah, scream for me, you know, uh, and of course you know famously scream for me Rio, which is rock and Rio, and mm. scream for me Long Beach, which is live after death. Yep, the when I've seen him, it's uh, scream for me Indianapolis. Because uh, that's where my wife's from, and it's only okay. a few hour drive from here. Um, yeah. yeah, I love how you say a few, a few hours drive. That's like fucking. That, that's me like going to another state. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I now, granted, I am from the American educational system. Uh, I had some time in private schools because my mom was a teacher, so I got to go mm. to private school when she taught there, but. I think it's safe to say that unless we work hard, and I try, but unless we work hard, our knowledge of the world around us is very uh, limited. And I was I was thinking about the size of countries and states and everything, and geographically, uh, where I live, Ohio, I live in the, the capital city of Columbus, my state is the size of Scotland, roughly, the... <laughs> That was the, the comparison. Probably, you know, yeah, it's like holy that's shit. That's just crazy. That is crazy. We got way too much space. I think that's why our government can't can't work because we're like Europe, 
except for we're not nice to each other. <laughs> well, Europe's not nice to each other, but you know we can't well, cooperate as well as uh, the older countries. We're, we're yeah, not. I was almost yeah, I was almost going to say, and you all speak the same language, but that's debatable, <laughs> right? That is debatable. <laughs> yeah, see, see, the interesting thing is when you look at look at Australia in comparison to the US, um, it's actually quite similar. The, the, like, in terms of like the width of the country, mm-hmm. um, actually quite quite similar, but you know we've only got well we've got six states and two territories, so you know, our, our states the states on the eastern seaboard are, are relatively small, and then the states on on the west and the north are very large because it's it's huge tracts of land that are almost unlivable. Mm. Well, let me phrase that that most 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 people know <laughs> having lived in the very north of the country I, I can understand it it is quite extreme up there but um, yeah it's it's a you know we you know you guys talking about going from state to state and and you know everything else and we sort of look at it and think well you know, I can drive for if I drive to drive for four hours um, I, I could be at either of two borders like between a state if I drive for, for eight hours I can go from one capital to another capital um, but if if I wanted, uh, and I have, I've driven from the very top of the country to the very bottom of the country, so from Darwin to Melbourne, and that took five days. So you, now you think about trying to drive from one end of the country, like from the east coast to the west coast, how long would that take you? Mm, straight through? Straight through. Uh, the only time I ever did it was uh, on tour with a band, so there was... You know, stops almost every day. Uh, yeah, that's right. And that was a couple months. But yeah, uh, I know some bands that drive from um, California straight through to the Midwest, Chicago, Cleveland, Columbus here. Uh, New York's about a nine hour drive from where I am. Okay. Uh, Chicago yeah, so is like about eight. Yeah, Sydney would be yeah, basically eight hours. Oh, okay. Right. So, yeah, big, big tracks of land. Huge tracks of land. I, I think my original concept of Australia was that the majority of people lived on close to the coast. Yeah, yeah, we do. Like, so predominantly, look the 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 eastern and the east coast of the country, where like the the highest level of population is. So, to give an example. Uh, so in Melbourne, there's probably about 10 million people, roughly. Um, in Darwin, where I live, which is at the very top of the country, um, there's 110,000. Okay, big differences. But that's still... Yeah. I think there's a, yeah. close to a million people that live here in Columbus, which is amazing. I only found that out when I was doing some research for... Uh, another show which I never did but it's like wow there's you know 900 to a million 900,000 to a million people living here a little behind never really thought of as a city a big city but it's one of the largest cities in America I, I think in the top 10 top 15 shitty mass Don't. transit <laughs> real bad mass <laughs> transit yeah see um, we're actually pretty lucky we actually have really good 
Um, well, on the East Coast, I mean, we have really good mass transit. Really good, quite, quite well, um, well built. Like I said, uh, so I work in the CBD and live out in the suburb. And so you guys think of the suburbs different to the way we think of the suburbs. Um, <laughs> so I'm probably about, no, you know, and again, showing my slight ignorance um, of geography in, in the States, you know, when, when, from television and everything else. The suburbs seem to be like hours from the middle of the city. You know, like you've got to drive forever to get to the suburbs. Um, Sometimes. Which is just weird. Because I live, I live probably well, about 20 kilometers from, from the middle of the city. Yeah, that that's probably like uh, most cities have, at least uh, from my understanding around here, most of the cities have quite a few different sub- suburban areas you know, surrounding the city, and the city sort of spreads out like the blob and swallows them up, and they become part of the city proper. But uh, mm. my sister-in-law lives in one of the city's uh, suburbs to the west, and it takes about 15, 20 minutes, depending on traffic, to get there. Hmm. But again, see, I, we, we we just call that the city. That's part of the city. If it's like fifteen minutes, it's yeah, you, you live in the city, mate. Yeah, you can dress it up however you like. Yeah, but, but uh, I, I I grew up um, where there are like there's well, there was essentially farmland, and that was that was at that stage about ninety minutes out of the CBD. That's probably that that's slightly comparable to uh, Ohio has a few what you would call cities and the rest are smaller towns and county seats and everything. I mean, I think like straight down through the middle, north to south, uh, at our northern border, there's Cleveland. Then between them, there's about an hour and a half of farmland and small towns. Then Columbus in the middle. Then about the same length of time of smaller towns and farms and stuff. And then Cincinnati, which borders uh, Kentucky. Ah, that's where language starts to change. <laughs> yeah, that's when the the drawl and the twang come in. Um, different terms. There's the soda versus pop uh, weirdness. I, I, I'm fascinated by that. Fascinated by 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 the the um, vocabulary diversity that that goes with that. I mean, listen, you know, we live in a country that is essentially you know almost the same size. Mm-hmm. Yet we don't have that level of diversity. You know, there are very, very small things that are are different. But even in terms of, um, uh, you know, pronunciation and and everything else that goes with it, we don't have that level of diversity. Like you can't you can't tell the difference speaking to someone other than in terms of general pace of speech mm-hmm. between one end of the country and the other. So someone from the from the far west and someone from the far east, um, th- th- there's no regional dialect for want of a better term. I wonder. I wonder what causes that. I mean. I mean. I guess. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Because I mean, from what I understand, Australia has a lot of people from a lot of different countries have moved there. But yeah. The- well, we are. I think we're one of the most multicultural. Um, per capita countries in the world because um, well, we've got like I think the largest Italian community outside of Rome largest second largest Greek community outside of Athens 
um, one of the largest Vietnamese communities um, outside of Vietnam. Like, because, you know, historically that's where everyone came from. Um, and, and I think potentially that's the difference in, in that um, there are sections of Western Australia where they're predominantly Dutch um, and you will get some of the influence there. But by and large, uh, said, aside from um, patterns of speech in terms of pace and everything else, there is no real difference. I wonder if it's the American selfishness. Being uh, a younger country, I feel like people sort of cloister themselves into small groups and point out the differences and cling to arbitrary differences like they're... Potentially. I think it, it, it's got a lot to do with the way your country was founded as well. Hmm. Um, in that, you know, it was, you know, we were essentially a prison colony, which, you know, you were as well. But when you when you, you gained your independence, um, you know, there were religious extremists and everything else that, like I say, cloistered themselves away. Um, whereas, uh, you know, Australia... We, while we gained, technically we gained political independence, um, you know, we, we spread out far more and we moved from sort of central points out into the country, whereas we didn't sort of land at a particular point and stay there and say, no one else can come in here. Um, you know, they, they just sort of, they flew in through the, through the East Coast and just spread like a veritable disease, according to the, the native population. Um... <laughs> Guns, germs, uh, and steel, as they called it around here. Yeah, that's probably not too far from from uh, from how it happened here. I mean, that's sort of uh, that's one of the differences. So living up north, um, there's obviously a lot more um, indigenous people living up north. Um, they their language patterns are completely different because you know they're the indigenous population. But even to a certain degree, you know, that's not been that's not transitioned into local speech or anything else like that. And actually the indigenous population nationwide um, have almost a, an identical dialect. Like the Sioux Nation once was here. Yeah, similar. You know, it's just, I'm sorry for just going on an absolute tangent. It's one of those things that really fascinates me. <laughs> no, man, that, the show's about tangents. Go on. I, I, I've taken up two hours of your time and i appreciate it a great deal it's been a genuine pleasure to sit and pick apart this movie and and dig into the the elements of it and stretch my my brain outside of my 15 minutes of stupidity so thank you sir for having me on oh thank you thank you so much for for being on here and you know i'm glad you found something that you you want to talk about i know sometimes i come off as intense like politics 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 but even if you just talk about a movie, I mean, art is political whether it tries not to be, mm. be because it's in the interpretation of of the viewer. I think, and, and we did we did get into you know ge geoglobal politics, the whole corporations are people thing we've got here in mm. the states. We 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 got a lot of well, good talking. Yeah, we did. We you know we talked about you know the the loss of individuality and you know the the distractions um that are that are going on to to con the common man away from thinking about what's going on too much and 
I will have my last comment on on number forty five, as I know you love to call him. <laughs> um, if you have ever read um, Transmetropolitan, the the comic, um, I will I will say that, and I believe this firmly. Number forty five is absolutely uh, the Smiler who becomes president in that book, uh, and his behaviour it it's scarily similar. If you've not read it, I suggest you pick it up and have a look and you'll go, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's the deal. This is what it is. He believes he should be president because he believes he should be president. And, oh, God. And just uh, yesterday or a couple days ago, I don't know if you saw that he said that he thought being president would be easier than his yeah. life before being president. Yeah. Yeah, that, that first 100 days scorecard, that's a ripper, that one. I'm going to have to check out Transmetropolitan because I enjoy myself a good comic, a good graphic novel. I'm more along those lines than I am into superheroes, so it sounds like it's right up my street. Um, well, it is about a journalist, and I know that you study journalism, so it's, it's, I think you will get a kick out of it most of it. It, it holds a very special place in my heart. And I know that uh, the Baz from, uh, from the podcast Under the Stairs is a big fan as well. Ooh, well that's two recommendations that make it more than worth everybody's while and checking it out. So, hell yeah, man. Um, thank you so much, dude. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking with me. It was a total pleasure. Hopefully, you feel like coming back sometime. You have an open invitation. Thank you, sir. I, I will be back any time you want me to come back and just babble absolute rubbish about a movie that I love. Hell yeah, dude. I think we've already talked about a couple so uh i might hit you up sooner than later on that especially if we keep being able to line up like this so thanks thanks everybody um thanks for listening thanks the witch for being here watch out for corporate control if you are rollerballer keep your helmet on yeah keep your helmet on uh remember to duck and cover take care of each other wherever you are and uh don't be like moon pie <laughs>